What's up, everyone? This is just two guys talking. I appreciate you tuning into episode four. This is our Mish Mosh Sunday podcast. I hope you really enjoy our conversation as there is really nothing on the table, but there is everything on the table. That's pretty much it. And uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoy. Have fun. All right, y'all, this is just you guys talking. Today, we have everything on the table and nothing on the table all at once. We're calling this Mishmash, Mishmash <laughs> Sunday. Um, and uh, just to give the, give the listeners a little bit of a catch up, the premise here with just two guys talking is that all we want you to do is listen. Our names are not important. Our backgrounds are not important. All we want you to do is listen to the ideas beforehand, before you. That is it. If, it, if it's useful, cool. If it's not, cool. Besides that, I have guy number two with me. Uh, this time around, I'm going to be guy number one. And uh, guy number two, where are you tuning in from? Uh, I'm, in, I'm tuning in from the lovely city, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And where are you at? Nice. Uh, you know what's so funny is that you're in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm actually in Savannah. I'm in the Savannah, Georgia. Like it's it's super fucking humid here. Is that close? Is that is that can I can I just come over? Like I mean you I mean you could, but I mean it's Corona Land and ah I don't know. I'm gonna say I'm gonna decline. No, <laughs> Corona Land. You know when this all started, I thought uh, that was the first like. I'm sure I'm not the only one who came up with this, but Corona Land came to mind. Remember Zombieland? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just thinking, I was like, God, this would make for a good movie when it's all over. I didn't know it was going to take up a year of our lives at the time, so I thought like a month, two months tops. You know, who saw any of this fucking coming at the end of the day? like, I, I think Dean Kuhn saw that this was all coming. <laughs> oh, yeah? What makes you say that? I say that because in one of his books, he, was, he even had a quote of saying that like in 2020, there's going to be this pandemic and a bunch of other things. Maybe even V for Vendetta, the the film, not the actual, uh, not 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 uh, Guy Fox. Yeah, <laughs> not the legit, legitimate Guy Fox, but the film was based in 2020. Was it really? Was it set in 20? That makes sense, actually. It, yeah, it, that that's the eerie thing. That's why yeah. uh, I highly believe that when they say "Remember the Fifth, uh, I don't think they just said that for uh, just remembering Guy Fox, I think they were just saying that for us. It could it could have been kind of like a um you know just kind of one of those things where it's like here's a warning label man like you know like uh what was that Nostradamus they could yes. have been having a Nostradamus moment they were tapped into something and we just like totally were like this is a good movie but also undertones of the end of the world. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah a hundred percent hundred percent yeah the the end of the world is nigh we have uh I mean you, you and I were discussing before the podcast of what we really wanted to talk about. And honestly, we're calling it Mishmash Sunday because... Uh, mishmash. I thought we were doing Mishmash, mishmash. Sunday. Oh, my yeah, bad. Yeah. No, no, you're good. Uh, the, mish, the Mishmash, so many issues in this one. Um, <laughs> the Mishmash Sunday because... The full of issues right now. Exactly. There's, there's so much going on in the world. And, uh, and as you and I have been discussing uh, off the podcast, it's like we... We're, we're kind of like one, we're a little, you know, somewhat frightened. We're a little ner- unnerved. We, uh, 
we're seeing some patterns in in, in our peripheral and in, in our mm-hmm. society and our communities that uh that isn't uh that doesn't lend itself to the future that you and I particularly want. No. Uh, Tell me about some of those things that, that come to mind uh, so, so, so we could tune in the listeners about what is on our minds. Sure. Uh, you know, we're in a time of, of tension. We've been in a time of tension for a long time. I feel like my whole life we've been saying we're in a time of tension. And it's just like just been, it just keeps bubbling and boiling over. And like anyone who's listening to this, you must be as exhausted as I am to that notion that like we're more divided than ever. It's like, okay, that may be true now, but like how much more divided can we get before we split? And what I've noticed, you know, I started doing some, some history, you know, I decided a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know, history class was my favorite class in school. Like there was a reason for that, but I didn't understand it when I was younger. And now I'm, I'm getting back into like watching history documentaries, things like that. And I realized, oh, they weren't teaching me historical facts. They were teaching me historical patterns. Ooh, I dig that. Yeah. And that's just like, God, I wish they had prefaced it that way. Because like, the <laughs> I think same, I would have paid attention more in class. I think I, I would think I would have like, you know, I was a good student, but like, I, it would have had a different kind of significance. And instead of just remember this fact and regurgitate, it's like we're going to teach you historical patterns. One historical pattern that really wigs me out is Keep the going. idea of, of burning historical things. So we see everybody pulling down these statues, right? And I understand why they want to pull down these statues. I completely understand why some of these are. Uh, emblematic structures that they that that need to be removed or want to be removed not need to that that people want removed totally they they elicit they elicit a lot of hurt a lot of generational hurt they they elicit a lot of strong feelings and but what's interesting is unfortunately that is an old pattern an old human tendency uh, of burning books of removing historical features that is kind of an out of sight out of mind kind of uh kind of way of handling the narrative and and when you do that you don't remember what patterns led you to pulling down those statues in the first place and you think you're going to remember but two three generations later with no reminders of what that you know historically we'll call it historically opaque because the lens of history is not it's not static it's not it's, it's not fixed um you know, these individuals, as you're, as you're tearing them down, you're actually removing your reminders as, of, to the, of the things you don't stand for anymore. Definitely. No, I agree. I mean, you're, you're hitting a, you're hitting a very uh, specific note and I, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I will also, you know, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, you know, uh, not all the statues, but some of those statues were also put up during a time when they wanted to remind uh, the previous generation of, hey, we're here and we're here and we're going to stay. We're sticking around. I'm talking about like uh, like when the civil rights movement was going on, they put up a lot of statues in a, in a very facet, in a very fast way. And mm-hmm. these statues are not, you know, they weren't technically meant to last. They were put together with very poor quality and just erected in order to kind of, uh, you know, snub the nose uh, to the uh, generation that was fighting for civil rights. Mm. Um, again, I have a degree in bro science, and I am mm. not to I'm not qualified to be talking about this. I'm just speaking on some things that I've read and things that I've seen. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. Like, you know, a lot of these statues, not a lot, but most some of them were just erected in, in in kind of retaliation 
So with that in mind, do you think they should still come down or should they just still stay erected, but maybe change the way we view them? I think uh, that's, that's the key right there is changing the way we view them as a reminder of those things we no longer stand for. Uh, there's a lot of reasons that I've, I've thought of over, over the weeks as to why that is, but I think it really comes down to the greater narrative of understanding uh, temporal context Mm-hmm. And what what the the lens by which we can use we can view history at different differing times, so you know you can look back throughout history with a twenty twenty lens, but it doesn't mean you have twenty twenty vision necessarily. Yeah, you're seeing it colored. I know our podcast has been a lot about biases, but this is a this is a huge bias. Like this is a generalization bias where you're looking back and you're saying by today's standards. Uh, the past no longer holds value. And that should remain, that should be true. We should have progressed to a point in our values where old values are no longer, they're, they're no longer appropriate. Yeah, they're not serving us anymore. They're not serving us anymore. So at that point, the things that they erected to be immortal, let's say, to immortalize oneself, because ultimately that's an idol. When you erect a statue of someone, it's a form of an idol. And people who love those statues are engaged in a form of idol worship. Um, mm. But for those who don't like the statues, who feel strongly about their removal, I think what they're really searching for is uh, that reframe. Because like now we need to have that 2020 reframe where we say, okay, we didn't like that thing. That statue's still there. How do we make sure that we don't repeat ourselves? Do we remove the statue or do we keep it there? Yeah, I think it would be very interesting if, they, if, if this narrative came up where they do keep the statue, but instead of you know, taking it down, they keep it and they change the plaques and they mm. made it factual. They, they, they changed the narrative and maybe even they had like, you know, they had the original plaque. Here's the original writing of what this uh, plaque says. Here's the second plaque. And then here's the maybe like uh, a, a reframe perspective of how this individual really was in life given uh the current situation and climate that we're in, I think that would be different. I, I've never heard that idea, nor I have ever seen a statue that had like two to three plaques kind of explaining the, the way and the history of uh, essentially this crazy pattern. Um, right. I think, I think it'd be cool for the Christopher Columbus statue that they, you know, that they, they, they did end up taking down if they made a new plaque and was just like, this guy blatantly enslaved people and murdered people and mm. brought brought forth, you know, the germs that, that that killed a lot of, I guess, like Native Americans in America. I mean, I'm probably mixing some of my history, but someone better would have written the plaque. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you can do that. You can you can write that. You can set up a reminder uh, in that way. Although you can also use it as a gathering point in the future so that, so that we don't keep going into this, what I call an undulating pendulum where you're going back and forth and, yes, back and yeah. forth and never, never really like finding your rhythm. Um, it doesn't go back and forth in, in the same, it doesn't go, it's not like a real pendulum that goes one side, one direction, the momentum takes to the same side, the same distance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's very fricative in my mind. It's, it's almost like it can't, can't choose. It's like you can't choose its alignment. And I, I think if you were to use these, these individuals 
in a in, and looked at them in realistic terms. Okay, what did they contribute versus what did they take? Because everybody takes when they contribute. I can almost guarantee that totally. in some way, shape, or form. It's the universal law. Unless you're Mother Teresa, in which case, like, I can't tell you what she took. I think there was some, probably some love, though. Yeah. You know, I think there was some was love getting. given to her. Um, but, you know, for the most part, the, these individuals, like, I heard somebody saying they wanted to take down, I, I saw something online about taking down Mount Rushmore. And I'm like, oh. Uh, like, yeah. It's like, well, it, how, how, how are we going to cancel fucking Mount Rushmore? Yeah, no. How, I mean, that's, that's literal defacing. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's literal defacing. Um, I understand like the history behind how we got Mount Rushmore, and, and that you know we heard a lot of people get into it. Uh, but it's just, I think a lot. I think what we're just touching on is like we we uh, there's a, there needs to be a uh, a reformation on the perspective that uh, the mass majority uh, have on history. And, and I think that what you and I are kind of brushing up against, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in large part, it's, it's not 100% because of this, but I do think it's because of the postmodern movement. Yeah, that, I've been trying to educate myself more and more. People call the postmodern movement the, the like neo-Marxist movement, things like that. And I, I've known a lot, I, I've I didn't know I knew a lot of Marxists, but I know a lot of people who kind of like put themselves under that, that ideological premise. Um, and the postmodern movement, as it, it's interesting. It depends who you're talking to, what they mean by postmodern. Exactly. Even, even postmodern gets a little postmodern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you talking to like the way I, I differentiate it is that if I'm speaking with an artist, then I know what kind of postmodernism I'm talking about. But if I'm talking to someone who is, uh, you know, more into like philosophy, uh, mm -hmm. then I also know what, uh, postmodernism, you know, I'm talking about, I, you know, essentially postmodernism, the way I, the best way I can explain it is, uh, to a philosopher and to an artist is that everything is subjective, mm -hmm. like everything, even truth itself is subjective. It's subjective mm -hmm. to the person espousing it, um, or, uh, utilizing it and more times than not, uh, in art, uh, postmodernism, the classic postmodernists, I would say, they had a, a uh, they had ethics and morals, essentially a code that they identified with, but they utilized postmodernism, the this new form of art, to express an even deeper uh, connection with uh, with the viewer, which, in my book, is phenomenal. I absolutely enjoy a classical postmodernist, but. It as you know, as you say, you know, postmodern has become postmodern, and right, there, there right. is no morals, there are no ethics now. It's just whatever you believe it to be, it is right. Everyone else is wrong. And I met a woman recently, a, a professor, who said that no view, no, no school of thought essentially in her mind was privileged over another. And I thought that was a really nice thing to say. Yeah. Um, but I guess it just, when you use the word privilege and you throw that out, it seems to get thrown out a lot these days as well. And I have to ask you what you mean by privilege when you say that, but when she's, I think what she meant by that was that no one viewpoint sees the whole picture in a way that, that encapsulates it totally over another viewpoint. And, and to that degree, I agree. Yeah. I, I, you know, truth is an ideal, as we've said on the podcast before, and, uh, you know, that's why you can, you can, you can wrangle it up in the subjectivity. 
that's not the issue with with the movement as far as i can tell um I what think is the, the issue i think the issue comes down to a feelings-based narrative that the way i feel mm. is more factual than what you claim to know yeah yeah give me an example that's an example. An example might, well, it's actually, you know, largely one of the theories that, that kind of uh, circles around this is standpoint theory. It's classically uh, a feminist theory. You can look it up. Uh, but part of that theory, uh, which does, you know, does feed into, it seems like Marxist ideology, don't quote me on that, still learning here. But part of that theory goes down into that, the, that certain members, certain classes, certain uh, certain select groups, usually disenfranchised groups, because these operate based on power dynamics, um, their experience has more merit or more value than your experience based on the fact that their experience comes from a lower place on a rung. Mm, and yeah. the, rungs, the rungs largely arbitrary. You can choose whatever rung fits the, the context of whichever group you're talking about. Uh, but that's, that's an issue. That, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't work historically and again we're talking about historical patterns that doesn't seem to work out it actually just divides people further because it becomes very binary thinking it's a haves and haves not scenario definitely yeah it starts uh, kind of becoming you know humans start treating other humans as other right which is way easier to dehumanize another human being when you see them as other mm-hmm. and 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 just to clarify uh and you can correct me you know if I'm going a little bit too far, uh, but kind of like uh, basically what we're seeing is uh, essentially with postmodern with postmodern thinking and postmodernism kind of coming into the uh, into our culture, we're seeing um, the misutilization and creation of words and terms that pit other groups uh, against other people uh, uh, for. Uh, I mean, I think like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. in large part uh, right now, we're seeing a huge uh, influx of this uh, with these weird words that are coming up that pit other people against other people from the, uh, the BLM foundation. Mm. And, and I, I'm saying that, uh, and this is my opinion, you know, I support the black community at large, you know, being a person of color, that that's, you know, where, you know, I, I've seen it, I've witnessed it, I've been a part of it. It's just, I cannot get behind the, the quote unquote morals or ethics that the BLM foundation has put forth saying that they are trained Marxists and the utilization of these terms to pit other people against other people, mm-hmm. um, all in the in the pursuit of power. Right. Not a fan. Not yeah, and, and nor should you be. The pursuit of power is is the pursuit of self corruption, in my opinion. And uh, you know, to to have that as as your end goal, it's just it's going to leave you in terminal chaos. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, you mentioned words that are being used. I would say words have been cre- being created. Uh, there's, there's a social uh, psychologist named Jonathan Haidt who, who uh, says that he and his colleagues found that in 2014, there was an influx of students coming in and kind of commanding the classroom and choosing what was going on in, uh, in academia, like what the oh, teachers yes, could teach. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I think I saw that at the tail end of my undergraduate 
Um, but I didn't see it in full force. It sort of, it sort of pop up and percolate around there. Um, when, you know, there's this, there's this movement to, to come up with disenfranchising words, there's this movement to cancel people. And part of that, you know, if we get into like, what, what is your basic desire? If you're trying to disenfranchise and cancel, you're trying to remove. And this goes back to that burning books kind of, kind of, uh, uh, you know, non-uniform reasoning that, you know, comes back to the, the statue removal is yeah. that I think what, what you're, what you think your your what you think your present desire is, is to remove something that, that fills you with, with a sense of, of shame, hate, dread, bunch of different negative affect emotions. But I think the underlying group narrative is I want to remove things that don't make me feel good. Yeah. And that I don't necessarily agree with and that don't line up with what I want to think about or feel and experience in the world. And I understand wanting to, to have a nice, at the end of the day, go home, kick back, maybe you crack open a beer, you relax, you call your friend, play a video game, read a book. I'm totally for that. But this all goes back to this kind of safety mentality. And that's become a rhetoric I've heard a lot that we need to be safe. We need to feel safe. And part of that, that being a goal as well. So you want to gain power so you can make things safe, right? Yeah. Part, that, that's, that's an issue because if you're trying to make everything safe and no, and nothing's ever safe, literally nothing is ever safe. Okay, yeah. Cause if we live in this postmodernist world where everything's subjective. What is safe? What is safe? Exactly. So when you get down to it, how do you know you've ever, how do you ever know you've, you've caught up with the rabbit when you're chasing it down Alice in Wonderland? You know, how do right. you know that you've ever caught up to safety? What is safety? I, I can't tell you. I feel pretty safe and I, I feel, uh, you know, I feel that I feel pretty safe right now, but there are other contexts where I don't. And how do I remove the context from me? Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I like everything that you just touched on. Um, we live in this very challenging time where, you know, we have all these words coming up and back to Jonathan Haidt, you know, like, uh, being in those classes where someone in talking about safety, you know, being, you know, imagine being the professor, you're going to create a safe environment for ideas and thoughts to come forward. You're not going to create a safe environment for the wrong ideas to come forward and that mm-hmm. typically in, uh, is when uh, one of the students, uh, you know, you made this safe environment, you have the syllabus and then someone comes in and they, and they, you know, they, uh, they're, they're a little bit more radical in the way mm-hmm. they perceive the world and they put forth certain terminology and they're just, and they, and they call out the professor, yo, I identify this way. Why do you not, uh, cater to me in your syllabus or in your lectures or in your teaching and just so you know last week you said something that really offended me and the group I'm a part of and there you go right there group identity is paramount it's the primary feature and characteristic by which the world sees me and I view myself exactly sorry to break your no that was it And and I said that for a very specific reason is like the people who identify with groups and I feel like you can agree with this uh people who identify with groups have given up on themselves in a very specific way. They don't hold or maintain their own morals or their own ethics. They've given up that identity in order for a group identity. 
and as a group identity has offered them in exchange for their offering, their quote unquote sacrifice power. Mm-hmm. And they can wield that power however they see fit. It's usually and, it's usually power in the form of groupthink that you can call people to your aid. Uh, but go ahead. No, that was it. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. exactly it. It's like, yeah, yeah, they're they're giving up uh all you know, their their self, the exploration of self in order to gain this power and utilize it and and I'm just gonna say it, it's utilized wrong. I have not really seen it utilized in a in a in a very healthy context. Um unless if we're talking about Gandhi. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the primary issue there though is that if you if you espouse the morals and values of the group and the group decides what those morals and values are. If you have a moment where you have your own individualistic notion or nuanced view of those values or those morals or how to gain the objective at hand, the group now actually, because it's so static and so fixed, will be able to remove you as not being a member of the group anymore because one of the other presuppositions within the group is that you hold the group values. Yes. And the minute you don't, the minute you deviate even a little bit, or you do it a couple of times, maybe three strikes or out rule, who knows? That's when they're going to start eating you out and not in a good way. Right, eating you out of the right, group. Yeah. They're going to remove you out of there. I mean, you're going, to, you're going to be like chum in the water of sharks. It's just not a good place to be. And these dynamics, you can see them on sports teams. You can see them in clubs. You can see them in, I mean, you can see them in gangs. You can see them in any group setting where you have to follow certain, uh, a certain chain of command, yep. more or less. Uh, and the, that chain of command usually comes down to what the group norms are. That's very true. That's very true. And, uh, and, and typically when we say sacrifice, um, or when I say sacrifice, they sacrifice themselves. They're more times they have to be initiated into the group. So there's a bigger sacrifice at hand. And typically sure. it hurts the community to show their allegiance and then the transfer of power. And like you said, if they don't abide by the group's identity, or uh, bow down to the ultimate ideal that they have put forth. Because all groups have this ideal image that they all hide behind. Um, I mean, we've all seen it. We've all run into the vegan at Whole Foods who says, oh, you're going to go through the meat section? Like, how (laughs) dare you? Like, is that... Does that person truly care if you go to the meat section more times and not? They always say, I don't care if you do it, but my group cares. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry. I know you know, and, and we won't go into your background at all. I know you know a lot more vegans, a lot more vegans than I do. Yeah. Um, I've never had that experience, but that does feel like that guilty moment of like, I don't care, but you know, like whatever, do what you want. And it's like, like, I think you're judging me right now. Oh man, <laughs> there's a, yeah. There's an undertone of judgment. Oh no. So Can much you... judgment. Uh, I'll, I'll just jump into this one story just real quick. I remember this one time I, I was, uh, you know, in my place of work and I was eating chicken and waffles and you know, the, these chicken and waffles were really good. Like I enjoyed them. They were mad delicious. And to all the vegans who may be listening to this, I'm not sorry. I love you. I'm just not sorry. And I'm not going to like, you know, ask God for forgiveness on that one. Like I'm, I am who I am and I love chicken and waffles, but I, one of the people I was working with, he, he's a vegan and he runs his uh, vegan company and uh, they, he comes in. I, I, I saw, I saw what, how this was going to play out. And I tried to eat my food as fast as I could. And 
before I could even finish, he, he made eye contact with me and he shook his head and he avoided me for months. <laughs> like he, even in, even in the, even in the meetings, like he wasn't there. He was like, so-and-so is going to take my notes. And I was like, I really upset this dude. Like, even though he knew from the very beginning, I was not vegan. He, he was utilizing this ideal to make me feel shame. Right. Uh, and I'm just like, yeah, dude, sorry. I'm an omnivore. Like, mm -hmm. and so there's a difference between that kind of thinking, you know, where he's like kind of, kind of shaming you into, uh, in, in, or at least you're perceiving it that way, shaming you into, to feeling like you need to like do something else with your life. And there's a difference between the individual who like has their own personal reasons for why they're doing what they're doing. No one taught them to them. Yeah. You know, I had a coworker, you made me think of, I, I once outed a coworker in a meeting saying, oh, you know, she, she's a vegan and she turned bright red as if I had like just pulled her out of the closet. Like just like, come here. And oh, like, sure. like, I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I just thought like, you know, you didn't have the food here is not good. I, fuck. Like I was just like so flustered. And I like totally pulled her out, but like she didn't, she never once espoused it to me in that like, oh, this is what I do. You should do it too. It's something she did for herself. And so me pulling her out wasn't, um, wasn't a virtuous moment in that she wasn't standing up on the Mount saying, oh, this is what you guys are doing. Okay, fine. Right. Like she was, she was just blending in, doing her own thing. She was picking up the vegetables. Like I didn't need to have like ruin her day. But, like I wasn't trying to, but she was obviously doing it for her own reasons. And I, I knew her quite well and I knew she was. Um, and, and I just want to touch on one thing. She was doing it for herself. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that she was doing it for herself because you know, I respect, and, and I, and for me, I'm going to say, I respect the fuck out of you. If you are able to do it for yourself, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not for anyone else, right? Not, not, not for your mom, not for your dad, not for the pleasure of the crowd, but for the, for the sustenance in your heart, yep. like just that sense of satiation and that you're doing something right by you. Um, now, if you think there's a grander narrative to it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to join one of these groups. The grander narrative could be like, okay, like, I, you know, maybe, maybe it is just a drop in the bucket what I'm doing for me. But at the same time, um, at the same time, you're not going to become unoriginal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're, you're not going to go off and just, you know, try and subvert anyone who doesn't fall in line. Um, and not saying vegans, we're not crapping on vegans right now. We're crapping, we're crapping on groupthink. Groupthink. We're crapping, we're crapping on group We're crapping on people who see social convention differently, and they they regard certain elements of social convention as morality or amorality. Yeah. And so you know, if you're if you're part of a group, you have a different set of social norms to the rest of the macro group or the group at large, possibly, probably. And when you think that they should quote unquote operate under under the uh social norms of your group what you're saying is these aren't social norms these are moral precepts these are these 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 take precedence over your way of looking at the world these are clearly right you know the word that comes to mind for me is the word tacit i always say that the root of all uh, of all conflict comes down to this concept of tacitness, tacitness, meaning that which doesn't need to be explained because it should be so apparent to you. Mm, yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. So many, uh, feelings on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the reason why people fight over whose God is whose God. Clearly it's my God. Are you kidding me? No, no. Clearly it's my God. Are you kidding me? That's, those are all emotional reactions to one another. Definitely. And it's a very binary thinking. 
And, you know, it's, it's either their way or my way. And I'm going to throw it out there. There is a third way. It's uh, all the gods are at dinner and they're just hanging out. They're kicking yeah. it. They're laughing. They're laughing, dude. They're having fun. Like, that's the third way. Oh, like, you know, I'm going to get a little woo. Yeah, open your third eye. Like, stop open seeing. Your third eye, man. Yeah, stop seeing everything so binary. Like, it's either their way or my way. Like, you know, unless if it's a life or death situation, which is binary. There's still a fucking third option. There's always a third option. And if you don't see it, you're not creative enough. And, and the problem with constantly doing the, um, the clashing, the binary clashing left and right, let's just call it. Historically, that, that's occurred. Um, I once heard a great lecture on, on uh, mythological, uh, mythological characters. I think it was a Jordan Peterson lecture. And he said, that the reason why Zeus has so many wives and, and, and has so many interactions that are like definitely by today's standards, morally reprehensible and probably so at that time to a degree, because there's a lot of, you know, strange, strange sexual intercourse going on. They said what happened was as the Greek empire, or he said, as the Greek empire was essentially expanding, we'll call it the Greek empire. Um, as the Greeks were expanding their territory, they were coming in contact with other groups that had other deities. And what happened in the conflicts of all of that is that over time, you know, the group that was subjected or take or, or subjugated and taken over essentially, or had to had to kowtow to to the Greeks essentially. And I'm just using the Greeks as an example. This happens probably across Norse mythology and every type of mythology. Oh yeah, everywhere. They had to create. They had to create a meta god. They had to come up with like this narrative. So they so Zeus is what was left. But Zeus is now, since he's the highest god, he has stories and and ideas around him that the group that was just taken over snuck in there as part of the dialogue. Yeah, also Zeus did this. And it's like, no, but that was also like some other mythological character that they're referring to. We're just calling yeah. a different name. So my kids can still have a taste of their culture and we'll move along and act like it was Zeus. And when you when you act that way though, what they what no one's ever ever discussing is that sometimes you get a cohesive narrative that comes together. Although I'd hardly call Greek mythology a cohesive narrative, but you sometimes get societal collapse. Yeah. Can you bear the weight of the conflict? Can you actually, can you actually take the burden of that? That's a, that's a deep, deep fucking no. I'm trying to unpack that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you and I, if you and I have differing views on something and they're so fundamentally different that neither of us can see each other, our friendship is over. Like yeah. it just took a hit. It may not be immediately over, but it just took a hit. We do that five or six more times. It's over. Right. Yeah. I probably, probably wouldn't even call you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> probably you'd want to protect yourself. You want to get some distance from those emotions. Now I'm associated with that negative experience. Yeah. Like, Ugh, you don't want to be around that disgust response goes flaring up. Fuck that. Don't want to be near that. Thank you. Super true. Super true. Um, yeah, on that, on, on kind of similar, uh, what kind of came to mind was, uh, why, uh, Christianity has purgatory. It's mm. like we wanted, uh, you know, we like, not we, uh, cause I'm not affiliated with that. Um, but when they, you know, St. Peter went over to Ireland and they, he mm -hmm. wanted, uh, you know, them to convert. He, he had to create purgatory because they had stories about fairies. Mm -hmm. And they were like, uh, the, you know, the Irish, you know, I'm butchering a lot of this, but basically they were just like, what about these fairies? And like St. Peter was like, well, I need them, you know, to join. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to say fairies are real and purgatory is where they live because they haven't really transcended to heaven yet 
Mm. And so now, now we have purgatory. Wait, wait. I never heard that. That's, that's, that's kind of hilarious. And that's, that's a form of subjugation where, uh, the alternative is, um, is more of a grand narrative. So how, how would I put this kind of lost my thought a little bit here, but I mean, we're getting into weeds on, on, on mythos. Yeah. Yeah. We are getting to the mythological highlands literally. Um, but essentially what I, what I see here is a doubling down of like you know okay if we call gods truth let's just call them the truth yeah let's just say like their rules are the truth for for a society that believes that deities are are uh are the strongest you know deity whatever's deified is that which you value most and that which you follow so yeah. gods would definitely fall in that category um and we were talking about truth earlier and i think truth falls in that category because just as the conflict between two or three clashing uh, views can come together and create an amalgam, create a meta truth, a meta God, like Zeus taking on all those narratives. It can also collapse us trying to debate what the truth is. And that's where if we get back to the postmodern movement, everything is subjective. When we say that everything is subjective, that's true, but everything's subjective within a realm of objectivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah you don't want to breach your, your bounds, right? You don't want to go beyond the parameters of which things are true because, you know, certain political leaders, let's just say, do that all the time. And, and we don't take too kindly to that. Um, with just, those are just blatant lies, unfortunately. When, when somebody's operating from a lens, you can also, if you break the bounds of what's objectively acceptable, you're operating from a delusional sense of being. And you don't want to go that far. You don't want to get to the point where it's all or nothing. Because once you're at that point, you know, you say, no, it's this way and it's only this way. And it doesn't matter what you say. You've just doubled down to the point that you're asking for conflict. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Um, and, uh, I, I recently, um, said this talking about conflict. Uh, it's a uh, conflict to me is when two people agree on an emotional state. Mm, elaborate on that. And uh, basically, it's just like if me and you were in conflict, it's because we both agree that we're both angry. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's like you see that I'm angry. I see that you're angry. We, we both kind of shook hands behind that in, in a back alley and said, hey, we're both angry. Like, we're angry. We're going to fucking fight. It's like, the only thing we have in common, even though we think we have nothing in common. Yeah, exactly. But and, and we can even get this like to be a little bit more meta, like the if let's say there's one person who is not identifying with the emotions, but the other person is, then essentially, like I said, it takes two people to be in conflict. Well, that one person can be in conflict with themselves. It's because mm -hmm. it's typically it's the internal versus the external. They both right. agree on the emotional state and that individual is in conflict. Mm -hmm. Not, and that's that's how yeah. I see it. Yeah, and I'd argue that's correct. And I think to the degree that you're in external conflict says a lot about your internal state. Um, the fact that you think that that's needed, the fact that, you know, that you're ex experiencing the... The fact that you think that that's needed, it's not needed. Unfortunately, it's, it's a human tendency. I had a conversation today where I started to get riled up and I had to calm myself back down. Um, and, you know, I felt that the person I was talking to had, had you know, processes things a little more emotionally than I do. And I felt myself getting, I've said it on the podcast or we've said it on the podcast, emotionality begets emotionality. Yep. And yeah, very true. It's just as a human tendency. And it's, 
it's funny because we could be taught not to react that way. We could, and I don't mean Vulcan guys. I'm not talking about doing some Spock shit, but I yeah. do think we could learn to emotionally regulate at a younger age a little better, uh, uh, you know, so that later on we're not learning it in really, really uh, uh, unfortunate context. You don't want to learn how to keep your mouth shut at work. <laughs> you don't want right. to learn to listen at work for your first time. You want to learn that ahead of time. And there are other more subtle uh facets of communication and understanding that like you don't want to learn at work i agree with that um and that as a as a as a good one yeah because like you know that kind of springs back to like education at large you know how, how are we bringing up the, the the younger generation i'm actually enjoying that more people are homeschooling than actually sending their child to public schools it is interesting uh, I really enjoy it. I think it's because, uh, you know, we as humans are starting to see that school is programming you to become a part of the system so that the system can utilize you much better. The system doesn't want free thinkers. The system doesn't want you to think individually. They want you to give into group identity, group politics. They want you to be a nationalist. They want you to lay your life down for the group. They don't give a fuck about your individuality, but yet we live in this hyper-individualistic world. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful paradox. Well, especially in the West, we live in individualistic. Some cultures have more of a collectivistic, uh, cost of collectivist? Collective, yeah, collectivist narrative. Uh, although I'm sure that's changing as places become more, more capitalistically driven. You wanna have more, we all wanna have more resources, make sense to become individualistic. When it comes to the school thing, the paradox there that I find funny is that they think, okay, when you get out of high school, you go to college, and that's where you'll, that's where you'll learn to think on your own. And that's not true. Schools, schools have uh, biased narratives going on in their structures. When you get there, they have certain things that they say that you have to espouse, and there's not a lot of diverse opinions or thoughts expressed in a college classroom. In fact, the loudest thought you'll hear is the most extreme thought that believes itself, unfortunately, on campuses right now and when I was in school to be in the right. And I'm not saying it's on a left or a right. I'm saying that it thinks it is, it is, it is morally superior and therefore it must speak out. Mm, yeah. But it's a, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a set, it's a complete funneling of the group consensus being concentrated in, in one particular person or a group of people. Yep, yeah, definitely. Oh man, I, I've interfaced with uh, qu quite, quite a few of those people in my day in school. Uh, it's, it's never fun. It's never exciting. And uh, one of my antidotes when I'm interfacing with someone who is espousing uh, group think and group ideologies is that I ask what they would, what, what do they think? What yeah. do they think? Like, that's it. That's like, that's like the antidote question is like, shine a light on them mm -hmm. because they don't have an identity separate from the group. Right. And, and they might come back to you if I've, I've had, you know, the intimation that the response would be, I just told you what I think. I'm like, no, no, no. You told me what you feel. Yeah. Um, you feel, you have a sense, a general sense is what's going on. Tell me what you think. Those, I, I don't mean to knock, uh, was it pathos, uh, eros? I, I don't mean to knock, you know, that sense of, of emotionally processing uh, and just say that it's all logic based. But again, no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying go into Vulcanism here. That's right. Not, that's, yeah. That's not where I'm, what I'm saying. I'm saying maintain an objective bird's eye distance from that which you believe you're experiencing while you're actually observing it. 
You're not actually currently enmeshed with the, the, the demon in the closet. You're not actually, you're not actually dealing with it. You think it's around you. You think it's, you think the word I hear a lot these days is problematic. You think it's problematic. Is it really, is it problematic in the moment? Is it problematic now? Or does it, or is it, does it, does it suggest a problematic uh, notion to you? Right. Yeah. Or he's like, yeah, what, whatever uh, is arising that the other person says is problematic. Is it just because whatever the other person's doing doesn't identify with the, the group's ideal? Like, all right. Yeah. Get, get, get the fuck off my lawn. Like <laughs> To that extent, I've tried not to use problematic when I'm describing things uh, these days because it's become kind of a buzzword. And I'm like, yeah. not everything's problematic. Sometimes you're just not sure how you feel about it. If you take that objective view, you can find out if it's problematic or not. Totally. I like, uh, I like how you said that. It's like a, one of those buzzwords. Like um, you and I, we've discussed this over, uh, over the phone many a times. It's like there are a lot of words that are coming up in today's culture that they have uh, their their source definition is something to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. How how like what do you suggest to a listener uh, who who may be utilizing buzzwords? Um, how do they get either continue utilizing those words uh, in a righteous manner, or what do you suggest? Uh, yeah, what do you suggest to a listener? You know about these words. I would suggest don't use them at all and try and explain and extrapolate upon your ideas in in long form. Be long-winded. Explain what you mean by things. Parse them out. Give them some separation. Give them some shades of gray. And you're like, oh, what does that mean? What I mean is don't use those words. They limit your vocabulary. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. A hundred and percent. Because you can just fill them in anywhere. I can draw a line and say, fill in this sentence. Like, oh my God. Like, Okay, I get it. Like we can go back to schooling. You were schooled to be an automaton, maybe, but you're not one. Use yeah. your words. Express yourself. Like if you have to use what's called circumlocution, if you have to explain around the meaning of what you're saying, you might find that actually in the context that you're explaining something, the word doesn't fit because it's now a little subtly different from what the word claims to 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 represent symbolically. Definitely. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And the reason why, uh, you know. Guy too, and also me uh, are both saying is don't use buzzwords is because it, it it's concept creep. Those words are creeping in and gaining ground on concepts. They don't concepts. have sound definitions at all, really. I mean, they're very flimsy, floppy. Like I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. What 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 are a few buzzwords uh, that you that you hear? Problematic is one. Uh, what are a few? Uh, one I've heard is uh, the bourgeoisie. Like I've I've been bourgeoisie. Hearing- I've yeah. been hearing that one a lot more. Bur- bourgeoisie would be Marxist and uh, bourgeoisie and proletariat. And, and, you know, that's, that's changed over time. Uh, that, that would be the, the middle and upper class versus the, uh, the lower class or the working class in, in Marxist terms. But in today's terms, it kind of means the same thing. Although, although in the United States, we, we have a much larger middle class. Again, there's shades of gray here. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I was talking to, you know, so, so you got, you got to be careful about, you know, breaking it down like that but some some words that i hear a lot um are are things like problematic privilege on the right i hear security well you know they've always been about yeah, security law and or order. safety yeah safety's the left more yeah exactly safety's on the left security's on the right law and orders on the right um so you know if you hear these words getting thrown out there you should first be asking yourself, what do they mean by that? Because exactly. their, their definition of law and order or their definition of safety is going to be vastly different from yours, probably. 
Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Look into the literal definition of it and then build on top of that. Okay. If that's what that word means, literally pull it on Merriam Webster. If that's what that word means, literally, do they line up with what the context, the context of which they're explaining the utilage of this word? Does that line up with the actual definition of that word? If it doesn't, then they're creeping, they're using concept creep. If, and also if it doesn't, they may just have a misunderstanding of what, how that word's utilized. So they may not actually be consciously trying to subvert the, the, uh, the, the elements of the word, what it, what it actually means, but they are doing it. And that's not okay. Our language is powerful. We've said that here before. It, it, the only thing that gives us power is language at the end of the day, our ability to express ourselves in narrative form and conscious form that you can hear me and I can hear you and we can engage with one another being encapsulated in these bodies and these shells that we think are, that are so separate from one another. We bridge that gap with our words a lot of the time, if not the majority of the time. You think, you know, you could say most communications based on body language and that's true, but our words yeah. give, give so much more, so much more hues, so much of a color pattern to that, to that physical body language. If you see somebody, you can misread their body language, but if they tell you what the word, the words of what they're feeling uh, and that, and then you can correlate it with that body language and you see them doing that thing, you say, Oh, that means they're anxious. Oh, this, because they express themselves and said, Hey man, I'm feeling anxious. And you go, Oh, when he does that little fidget thing, like yeah. he wasn't being rude or dismissive, he was feeling anxious. And now I understand his internal experience. So therefore I can understand our interaction a little better. I dig that. Yeah, words are super powerful. And, uh, you know, you and I, we, we keep harking on the same thing, harping on the same thing. Words, words, words. Make sure you know what the words you're saying. And if you don't, let's say you utilize a word that you just don't know, but you've been utilizing in conversation for a while. Trust me, I do it all the time. I'm human, but I am so fast to say, you know what? I, I don't know what that word means. Could mm -hmm. you educate me? And nine times out of 10, it, a beautiful conversation ensues because one, I get to be enlightened. And two, the other person then realizes, yo, they have a good understanding on words. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you have a mastery of, of language, you are, you are both simultaneously dangerous, but you're also simultaneously, uh, I would say, an arbiter of peace. You have the ability as an orator to speak to two parties as a mediator and say, this is what they mean by this. And you can put it into the words that you know so that, that are, are comprehensible and understandable by the other party. You can be just as much of a sword as you can be a shield in that yep. scenario. Oh, yeah. You know, um, it's so powerful. And I, I think there's this, this movement right now to, to change the language, to change the words. And, and I'm not... I'm not pulling any particular movement into, into play here because anyone who's trying to mess with language doesn't mean they're necessarily trying to mess with it in a subversive or consciously uh, uh, evil or, or, you know, the evil is not the word I'm looking for. Bene uh, malevolent. Malevolent. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Malevolent way. That's, that's definitely not it. They may think that they're working on behalf of beneficence, but at the end of the day, um, they don't know if that's the case. They don't know what the end outcome is going to look like. They don't know who's going to subvert their opinions. And that, and for that reason, you want to make sure you're crystal clear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You got to come correct. Uh, you know, as I say to myself is before I do anything uh, like the next level, whatever I'm into, I got to come correct. I got to come clean. I got to know my, in, my inside and outside because ultimately I believe that my outside is just reflection of the inside. Like that's it. Like I, I'll, 
I think it's kind of funny when people are just like, oh man, you know, the world is uh, burning. The world is uh, crazy. The world is upset. You know, it's so uh, uptight. Well, look at that person who just said it. How's mm -hmm. their world? Mm -hmm. Are they mm -hmm. uptight? Are they upset all the time? Is their health okay? Like we are just reflections of how we speak to the universe and how we see the world. Your Absolutely. perspective influences your physiology. It just, mm -hmm. it just does. And your individual pathology should not stand as a placeholder for the pathology of society at large. Mm, yeah. Ooh, uh, break that one open for me. The way you process the world, the way you perceive about it, uh, perceive it and think about it, uh, the way you experience it internally in your own internal experience should not be the inference point, the point at which you say, oh, well, if I'm feeling this way and this is how I see it, then the rest of the world must operate this way. You uh, should yeah. question that as well. Yeah. How, are you walking around with functional delusions? Are you walking around with things that allow you to maintain the story that you've always told yourself? Or are you walking around with a set of tools that say, hold on, let's parse through that. Maybe we didn't see that quite right. Let's flip the page back. I didn't read that properly. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. And uh, for those who want to take a little bit of a deeper dive on the story that they tell themselves, you guys got to check out uh, episode two uh, that we, we just published not too long ago. Uh, we, we really take a deep dive into story and the narratives that we tell ourselves. So, mm -hmm. And I would say that conversation was foundational for most. I mean, the first couple podcasts we've thrown out there are really, if you've gotten through them all, are foundational to what we hope to extrapolate and expand upon. Um, we are learning about these subjects in real time. We don't, we don't come on here, we, we have some ideas and we have some things that like maybe almost ours, almost ours. But at the end of the day, by, by guy one and guy two talking, what we're hoping to get is, is you know, two brains is better than one kind of situation where we're percolating up ideas and we're bouncing off of each other, just like the internal psyche kind of does inside your head. You have a bunch of chatter, a bunch of different voices, and they're all kind of comparing and contrasting with one another. And what comes out of your mouth, hopefully, is a good version of whatever was supposed to rise to the occasion, kind of like mixing up gods, kind yeah. of the same scenario. You're, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what's the Christian saying or the, the biblical saying, uh, life and death is in the word? Is that, is that it? I have no idea on that one. I think it's something like that. We are, we are like these, these mini deities going around. I had this conversation recently and you and I've had this conversation before in the past. We are like these mini deities that bring, that bring, we bring reality into reality by yeah. speaking, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Reality's already here, but we, we texturize it, man. We, oh we yeah. Get, we give it flavor. We give it flavor. We're the spices walking around. We are not the dish. Definitely. Oh man. I, lo I love that you said that. Uh, Cause like, yeah, I always say this, like when people start hanging out with me, they, they, they're make, they're like, man, guy number one, you have such flavor with words. I'm like, yeah, you know, the English language, you got to use it like the spices, mm -hmm. you know, you want to have a flavorful, you want to have a flavorful way of speaking because this beautiful dish of life is right before you. Like, I'm not saying that the, you know, the universe didn't cook it well enough. I'm just saying that I'm the fucking spice. Like, yeah, yeah. And you can play with, you can play with words. You just can't bastardize them. Right. Like, yeah, you can't have subverted, uh, intimations of subversion, you know, in your mind that you're going to use this as a tool 
because you didn't have any other tools at your disposal, you're going to get creative and, and misutilize a, a, a tool that you never actually personally practiced with on your own. Like you should practice with words. When I was a kid, I, I um, a young kid I was watching SpongeBob. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I started cussing around the house and my mom got mad at me. And in SpongeBob, when he had an episode where he was learning cuss words, yeah. And he, and he said, you know, oh, these are bad words. These are sentence enhancers. So I said to my mom, I said, that's not a bad word. That's a sentence enhancer. She didn't yell. She didn't, yell. She didn't get mad. I found out for, you know, over the next 10 years that she was like deeply impressed by that moment. Cause I must've been like nine years old. Oh that man, that's hilarious. And I was just parroting. And, you know, she said, I can't believe you came up with that. And I go, mom, I didn't come up with that. I was like, that was a playful little phrase I picked up from watching SpongeBob and it got me out of trouble. Oh and, man. And so you can be playful with words, but like my goal as a little kid wasn't to use that to necessarily subvert my mom. I was being a playful little kid. It's a different yeah. intention. Definitely. Yeah. You were playing. I didn't know I was going to get out of trouble with it. It just turned out that I did. Yeah. And you know, I was saying, you know, I said, it's a sentence enhancer. She goes, oh man, way to use your vocabulary. He said enhancer. He's nine. What, what nine-year-old uses the word? Yeah. Enhancer. Right. You know, yeah. like, and it was so it was so heartbreaking for her to actually find out that I wasn't a genius at nine, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, words are words are funny, man. And we'll always probably in this podcast come back to them because I think I think as far as being foundational pieces of what what allows us to to engage with and understand our experience, um, they they can't be understated in their importance. Um, they're the base. They're the frame. It really is. Yeah. It's super important. That's, a, that's like one of the first things that uh, I, I take uh, upon myself when I so choosingly decide to educate someone else. Mm -hmm. Communication and the way you utilize words is the most powerful thing that you could ever uh, take upon yourself in, in your own life. Absolutely. Because uh, it, it's all about relationship building. It's not about destroying, uh, though that may be some people's agenda. It's not ours. We're just no. trying to enhance everyone else around us uh, to make sure that they too are on their A game. Absolutely. And just as your individual pathology is not the pathology of groups, your individual use of the language you speak is not the language of the group. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why there are dictionaries. We're trying to, trying to standardize it a little bit so we can get a little closer. Totally. Totally. No, I love that. Um, so that that was our bit on on words. Is there is there any other topics that are coming to mind? Since it's a mish mishmash mishmash Sunday, what mish what else is on the table? What's on the table, man? That's a good question. A lot of ex existential dread with the people I talk to right now. A lot of uncertainty and confusion in the times that we live in. Um, a lot of a lot of people are scared. Dude, yeah, that's super true. A lot They're of people are scared. Yeah, there's no there's no floor beneath our feet, as it turns out. It, it, it's not exactly lava, but it's kind of a free fall. We were we were holding on to a branch this whole time. Oh yeah, I mean, if we were even holding on, I just I I just thought we were just free falling the whole time, and I just you know was flying. That was it. Yeah, well, somebody put some put some uh, <laughs> other forms of physics in your wake if you if you thought you were falling the whole time and now you're having existential dread because they changed the terrain somehow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, existential dread sucks. I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, I, I I tend to 
sometimes dip in and I'm like, Oh, Whoa, where, where was my brain going with that? And I'm like, right. uh, brain, get back over here. We're, well, it makes, we're good. It, it makes me wonder about like, you know, when people were like on the frontier, let's say, and they were, you know, pioneers out there and like, you know, a lot of people are saying some nihilistic things to me. They're saying, what's the point? I felt that at moments. What's the point? What am I doing? I, I don't have consistency. Yeah. And, did those people they didn't have consistency at all like what did they think about i feel i feel like they they were living in the now see that that's been my antidote like when yeah. people like get you know existential or nihilistic and whatnot i'm just like bring your fear to me like literally mm-hmm. bring whatever the fuck you're afraid of if you if you're if you're anxious you're thinking about the future bring the yeah. future to me i've got words to say to it yeah. oh yeah. oh you can't you can't bring the future here oh great so we're gonna have to live in the now. Oh, uh, what a beautiful present! Like, what a beautiful problem! Like, what a literally. beautiful problem! Like, what a beautiful problem! You can't fucking bring it. You can't actually show me the thing that needs to. You can't show me the bomb that needs diffusing because there's no bomb yet. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, well, can we hang out until there is a bomb? No, we have to anticipate the bomb. We have to be ready to snip it. Do we know what the bomb looks like? No. Do we know it blows up? Well, I'm pretty sure. Right. Do, are we sure it's not a dummy bomb? No, no. Yeah, that's a good question. Is that's, it? That's a, that's a good get. Get specific about what it is that's bothering you. You know, I thought. I think a, a big part of this is that nobody knows what where the resources are coming from, and that's a, that's of course a huge you know uncertainty. Uh, you know, and if you're uncertain, you're going to be anxious and worried. Yeah, and yeah. Likely to make all sorts of stupid decisions or not so beneficial decisions. And um, you know, at the end of the day, if somebody said to me, "All right, you know, guy number two, I'm going to give you all the money in the world." Okay. I'm going to give you the partner you want. I'm going to give you the, the life you need. Would I sit there and actually feel secure? I'm not so sure I would. I'm not so sure. I, I definitely feel better. There's no yeah, way around that. Right. Like there's no way around that. I'm not going to deny that the, the, that experience as such is definitely improved by the resources you have. But I will say, I think it comes to a deeper sense that we don't have uh, real meaning in our lives. You know, if you just handed me all my money and I didn't have something that I did, that made right. me feel fulfilled. And I think a lot of people are losing their jobs. A lot of people, I don't think it, I know that. I saw the, I saw the, the rates at which jobs are dropping just, just a month ago. I'm sure it's even higher now. Um, although the job you do does not make you feel a sense of meaning necessarily, doing a job often does. It's very true. It's very it true. Not an act of service. Yeah. An act of service, uh, and that service doesn't necessarily even have to be to your employer. You, if you have a wife and kids at home that you provide, that's one hell of an act of service. That's true, and that's also a. Or uh, if you have a husband and kids at home, either yeah. way. Yeah, either way, yeah. Uh, it, it also kind of talks on your why. You know, you need to have a why. If you're mm-hmm. it, like, for for example. Uh, I did this competition uh, about a year ago where I was able to win uh, $10,000 and I had to go um, for a whole month balls to the wall. I had to go really hard because the leaderboard was there. I'm not going to give any context of what it, what, what it entailed, but just understand that it was day in day out. I was out there fucking winning and you want to know, the biggest thing I kept checking in with was my why. Why was I there? Why was I doing what I was doing? Why was I spending the money I was spending? Why was I uh, putting so much pressure and strain on my relationships? I even told everyone before 
Um, I even, before I went there, uh, went to the fucking competition. I told him, I'm going to be absent. I'm going to be absent-minded. There's no room for anything that you can do for me or I can't do, I can't be there for you. I can't, you can't even talk to me regularly. Mm -hmm. Like I have other things on my mind and I I prepped everyone, but it still put a huge strain on my relationships, but I'm focusing on a hundred percent on my why I, I knew my why. Do you feel like you had to be actively obsessed in order to keep yourself engaged as opposed to like somebody who's obsessed and can't help it? Oh yeah. 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 I had to be actively engaged in my obsession. I, I was, I was hungry for it. Like I was not going to let anyone win. Yeah. And, and I didn't, and I love that. And, uh, you know, I created this cool little name for myself and, and everyone started recognizing me afterwards and they were like, how'd you do it? And I was like, I was hungrier than you. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember when the, when this one guy, he passes me up for like two hours on the leaderboard with the points and I saw his ticker stop at 9 PM. And I was like, this guy either is going to bed or he has a girlfriend and (laughs) he he has other you know, obligatory things he needs to do. His why is not bigger than mine. And my why was big. And he woke up the next day and I, and I can say this with certainty because I saw him at the after party Mm -hmm. and he was like, how'd you do it? How'd you get 4,000 points ahead of me? When I went to sleep that night, I was ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep. Exactly. That was it. I didn't sleep. My why was so fucking deep. I, I, will, I went to sleep that like morning with the biggest smile on my face mm-hmm. because I knew when he woke up, I broke him. I broke his soul. I took that energy and I said it was mine. I and love it- that. Do you feel like in, in the winning, in the winning quality? Cause I think, I think it's what everybody needs right now is they need, is they need a sense that they've won something. Yeah. They need, they need, they need it, to they find just, their why. They need to find their why to win something. Don't they? Yeah. I mean, if you don't, if you don't know your why, you don't know your goal. Exactly. You know, uh, cause your goal would be your why hopefully. Yep. You know, to, to a large degree, if your goal is to provide for your family, that then, then you know your why. So your goal is synonymous with your why, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you were doing that, what was, do you remember what your why was? Uh, yeah, my why was uh, I wanted to leverage uh, my time in such a fashion that I could uh, prop myself up financially in, in, a, in a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, I essentially had taken on a few too many uh, risks. Uh, my car was on its way out uh, and and I needed uh, to, you know, get on a better leg, a better standing. And, oh man, that was, that's what lit a fire under my ass. I saw this mm-hmm. competition. Yeah, they, they, they didn't even know I was going to be in the competition. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I signed up like three days before it even started and everyone had been in there for a month and they were like, who's this guy? And, oh man, I, I wrecked shop. I, everyone knew my name. And I imagine that was quite exhausting for you to, to do that. And an old quote came in my head from a guy named Les Brown who said, if you don't pay now, you pay double later. Exactly. I, I found that to be true in my life that when I'm, when I'm down and out that I have to really be, 
I have to destroy myself to get back in, you know, you know, up and on it, you know, back. Yes. I like that. You say that you had to destroy yourself. Like one of the phrases I was saying when I was out there uh, winning this competition was I need to die into my dream. I need to die into this competition. The, mm-hmm. the, the person that walked into this competition isn't the, isn't going to be the same one that left. Yeah. And like, I will say it changed me. It changed my perception. It changed uh, the, the way I, I interact because I'm not an entirely competitive person, but I will say when I choose to be a part of a competition, I'm there for a reason. I'm there because I have a purpose and I have my why and it's intact and there's nothing that anyone can say to change it otherwise. And it seems like this, you know, you had taken a lot, you said you take a lot of risks and that's what brought you to this point where you had to be hungry. Um, another Les Brown, you gotta be hungry. Yes. That. Yes. You know, it seems that you're also taking a risk to get out of your risk because like, but you knew what the risk costs as opposed to it being some sort of ambiguous thing you knew it was going to just take a piece of you, your energy, your time, oh, yeah. a little bit of your sanity. It seemed like at the time I remember. Oh, it and- did. Yeah. Even my partner was just like, I am proud of you but I am going to overlook your behavior. This is, <laughs> this is week three and I have like a week and a half left. And, and I'm so thankful that she was able to overlook some of my behavior because I was not a tolerable human being to be around. I was bent on winning. You got to wonder what the spouses of high performance athletes must be going through. You know, you got yeah. you got to wonder about that. You got you got Michael Phelps as your husband, which I actually just watched him interviewed by Tony Robbins recently, and um, and he was talking about how he and his wife have split up many times before they finally got together ultimately. And I was like, God, you know, I know you're not. I'm not going to lay it all at your feet because there's two humans, you know, dancing the tango here. But I will say. He was a he was the highest high performance athlete. I could not imagine the the smothering intoxication of 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 existing with him. Um, not not that saying Michael Phelps isn't a great guy. I don't know. I'm sure and he seems like a quality individual. But it's not necessarily him that was the issue, but the drive. I yes. imagine had to had to have had played a part in some discourse. You'd have to you'd have to think so, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, you missed a date. Where were you? Oh, I was swimming laps. yeah i have to get mad at you for doing your job yeah yeah that's not that's not a good feeling and you know i do uh i have a lot of love for the partners out there that um support the uh you know their partners drive uh because Mm -hmm. it takes a very special uh and unique um touch in order to navigate those waters Mm-hmm. Like takes, no pun intended. Like no, no, it takes a lot of patience, and uh, it, it takes takes kind of the the act of an angel to to be able to push through that. Yeah, a saint, <laughs> a saint. Yeah, yeah. You got to you got to tap into your saintliness. Yeah, for real. And uh, you know, guys, you know, as, as I'm doing this, I realize like we're doing a mishmash Sunday, which means we're just throwing everything in the kitchen sink in here to talk about. Although we won't touch every topic because that's practically impossible. But I do want to thank those who are listening who have gotten this far into at least this podcast, if not our other episodes, and, and say, uh, you know, tip my cap to you that this, this listening to us and the way that we speak and, and discuss things takes a huge amount of openness and flexibility, um, just as the flexibility you need to have 
if you were working with, you know, if you were with somebody who is a high performance athlete or like working on their grind, it takes a lot of flexibility um, to, to listen as a conversation takes twists and turns that maybe you can't predict or uh, don't stay linear or don't stay on a topic. And I just want to thank anyone, everyone who's listening and maybe will listen in the future to this for, for taking that time and, and, and fostering that capacity because we need more fluidity in terms of the way that we conduct ourselves and think about things uh, in this world, not more rigidity into, into as we were talking about er, earlier, ideological premises or, or rules as such. I agree with that. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, I also want to throw out, you know, I just want to add to that. Again, thank you. And if you want to be a part of these conversations, you you can definitely do that. You mm-hmm. can uh, if you if anything jumps out at you and you're like, man, I really wish they they uh, took a deeper dive on this topic, or they they went further down the alley on on the conversation. They just didn't get there. Uh, send us an email. Send Go us to, an email. Yes, yeah, so it's it. Our email address is info at just the number two just two guys co info at just two guys.co send us an email send us your topic we mm-hmm. won't say your name on air we'll just talk about the topic that you want us to bring to the table and uh you can tell us how hard you want us to go if you want us to dissect this thing we will if it's just something mm-hmm. that you just want us to kind of touch on we will but send it in absolutely and uh Everything can be worked in on any conversation at any point. All things are, are I hate to sound woo as well, connected. Uh, whether you think they're not, whether you think they just, just because two things look different don't mean, doesn't mean they don't operate very much the same. Definitely. Yeah, we, we, got, we, we are pretty tangential and we are, we're on it. We're, we're seeing the bird's eye view most things, but with uh, a lot of our listeners, they, they've they've really been shining some light back on us, and uh, the comments that we have heard so far has been uh, truly uh, awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. And and expect thing you know expect things to expand. Expect us to invest. In maybe I think we've talked about on Instagram. Expect uh, guests in the future. Right now, we're trying to stay too, true to our format, which is two guys talking, but that won't always be the case. So expect those things. Definitely. Yeah. We got things in the works that you probably have never even thought of. <laughs> and if you have, why didn't you write us about it? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, our, you know our email. That's just kind of rude. Yeah. For real. That, that would be a little bit rude. It's like, Oh man. Yeah. If I saw someone on the street and they were just like, Oh, I was thinking about this thing. It's like, and yet you didn't say it. The, like, you know, we're, we're not going to take offense. And if you, if you message us and say, Hey, guy number two is a piece of shit. I'll be like, which conversation? <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that, yeah, that determines whether it was me so hey you know for sure uh, i mean whatever <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean th- i think on that note this has just been kind of a special little addition we both had some time today that we wanted to chat over some things um sorry to anyone uh that that feels that you know maybe we didn't touch on something that they wanted but again shoot us something yeah yeah i'm super excited to see what emails pop up uh Again, be on the lookout for that Instagram. It's coming. It's going to be there. And uh, yeah, and uh, the biggest thing, it sounds like we're rounding this out right here. This is going to be my little two cents for for the listeners. Um, Biggest thing, be careful about the words that you're talking about. Be careful Mm -hmm. about the words that you're using in your life. Be sure that you understand them and be weary 
of words that you do not know that arise out of nowhere. Question mm. where they came from. Question how they're used. And as always, remain curious. I, I love you guys. I love the listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, and this, yeah, this is this has been real fun. Like this mm-hmm. is a real cool mish, mishmash Sunday. And I couldn't have uh, a better Sunday uh, talking with uh, one of my good friends. So, uh, guy number two, uh, drop. You, you know, you already gave the listeners a lot of love. Uh, drops, drop something for them. Oh man, I think you hit it. You definitely pay attention to the words that people are using, especially if they use them multiple times in uh, in a narrative or in a sentence. Um, don't give in to the dogma, or, or or better yet, don't give in to the reactions of the crowds if they make you feel uh, powerful and strong, and that you want to be a part of what they're about. I would question that a little bit. Like, why? You know, are you are you engaging with the part of our minds that's a little more of a hive creature, which human beings do have that capacity? Look it up. Um, you don't want to fall into that. So be careful. Um, you don't, you don't want to just slide into, into somebody's world and, and try and be a parody of, or, 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 you know, exemplar of what, of what they espouse. You need to have your own ideas, your own opinions, and you need to have subtle differences from one another. Cause that's what makes, uh, us beautiful. Hells yeah. Well said, deeply appreciate everyone listening. This has been just two guys talking guy. Number one guy. Number two. We absolutely adore you. Keep loving yourself, and uh, we'll chat later. Peace, guys. All righty, y'all. I really appreciate every one of you for listening through the entirety of that episode. We spoke about a lot of different topics, and we covered a range of different emotions as well. I hope no one took anything too personally, and if something struck a nerve, think about it. And maybe even reform your idea. Anyways, as we were talking about towards the very end, if you have some suggestions on some topics you would like us to discuss, please send in an email to info at just the number two guys talking dot co. And guy one or guy two will respond and we'll let you know what episode we will take on your topic. You could be very precise or you could be very accurate on what you want us to talk about. Anyways, until next time, see you later. Goodbye. Farewell.